As public theologians, both Duran and I believe that everything about us says something about God and something about the world. The late theologian James Cone phrased it like this, theology is political language. We're here to figure out what that means here and now. Fyodor Dostoevsky once wrote, quote, the degree of civilization in a society can be judged by entering its prisons. Today in the U.S., over 2.5 million men and women are incarcerated. This leads any other nation in the world by a wide margin. In other words, we have an historical body of evidence with which to judge the civilization in our society. The evidence is far from encouraging. Prisoners across America are held in deplorable conditions. The sentencing guidelines in decades past in particular, and even to the current day, make it certain that prisons will always be full of labor that is exempted from the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, and therefore largely unpaid, and with very little labor rights. Enter private companies that profit from this condition. CoreCivic and GeoGroup put inmates to work in sometimes for under a dollar a day, working for companies like AT&T, Walmart, and more. In California, my home state, wildfires are routinely fought by inmates for little to no pay. So it is a problem with private companies, but it's also a problem with our state and local and federal governments. Now this all comes up because here in Alabama, we highlighted on episode 17, Governor Kay Ivey has proposed three new mega prisons throughout the state. Duran and I spoke to some local activists that are working on efforts to block those, that new prison construction. And in this special episode, I spoke with a man who goes by the name Swift Justice. He's currently incarcerated here in Alabama, and he is with a movement called the Free Alabama Movement. Uh, they are organizing in efforts to improve conditions and also to highlight the inescapable reality that mass incarceration works in much the same way that slavery worked in years past and works to the present day. In what follows, I want you to hear the witness of a man with integrity. I also want you to hear the voice of a man with compassion, with deep commitment to truth-telling. I also want you to remember Jesus' inaugural words as he read from the scroll of Isaiah in Luke's gospel. He said, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. One quick note about the interview. We had talked over the wall phone um, in the prison that Swift Justice is calling from. So the audio might be a little bit difficult to hear, and it happens in three different phone calls. So I left a little bit of what it sounds like to make these calls um, in uh, the audio, so it might be a little bit different than normal. Now, without further ado, here is my interview with Swift Justice. An inmate at Alabama Department of Corrections. 
This call is subject to recording and monitoring. To accept this free call, press 1. To refuse this free call, press 2. Good morning. So tell us a bit about um, the Free Alabama Movement, um, maybe about kind of uh, how you got started in that, and just kind of give us a, a little rundown of, of what all is involved in that. Yeah, can you talk a bit about that? Because I think uh, for many of us, when we learn American history, we learn that um, you know Lincoln freed the slaves, and slavery has been abolished, you know, as you mentioned, the 13th Amendment. Um, can you tell us a bit about why that, what that misses um, in the conversation? Uh, he even owned slaves afterwards, according to history. Uh, but 
so his his agenda wasn't necessarily to free slaves, and I believe uh, wholeheartedly that the Civil War wasn't about uh, ending slavery as much as it was about who was going to own the slaves themselves. Um, so, yeah, propaganda was put out there, and people were taught certain ways, yeah, and, and, and people latched onto it. You know, people wanted to believe that slavery ended in 1865, and it didn't. Uh, if you do your if you do research and you uh, and you really just dig into the historical points, man, you you will see through Frederick Douglass's accounts of, of what was occurring after slavery was allegedly abolished. You know, it really wasn't, and he was seeing it for himself. Uh, and then once 1865 came around, he had new laws that were implemented, such as the Black Code laws, convict leasing, and so on and so on. And now that we have been able to expose it over the past, you know, few decades, uh, and most recently over the past five, six years, that America has actually started taking focus on the issue, people are starting to uh, see the light and see the actual propaganda for what it is. Yeah. So, and just pulling up the uh, 13th Amendment, it says, uh, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist in the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So yeah, it's um, that that except as punishment for crime carries quite a bit of, of weight in that sentence. Um, can you talk a bit about the... Um, you, you mentioned that the... In your view, the Civil War was about who will profit from slavery. So uh, fast forward all the way to today. Um, you can t- talk in as general terms as is as, as necessary on your end. Um, but are there examples right now of um, of business um, uh, partnering with um, with uh, folks to keep um, slavery going on and to profit off of uh, the backs of black and brown bodies in particular? Uh, definitely, man. You got, you got companies uh, all over, you know, uh, all over the United States who actually profit off of it. And one of the biggest industries right now is the private prison industry, which is a multi-billion dollar industrial complex. Um, and, and two of the main uh, in, multi-billion dollar industries that are in that that line of work is Core Civic and the Geo Group. Now, when you got two groups like that who have made multi-billions off of uh, incarcerating uh, not just brown and, and brown and, and black communities, but poor communities mm-hmm. in entirety, you 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 are seeing. I, I'm talking about that is a it's a booming business, especially the way when you got politicians who are being elected during their campaigning. You know, the main thing that they campaign on is crime, 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 harsh on It's a system that's designed to work exactly the way it's, it's working. 
when you look at it from a business aspect of it, it's a genius. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a genius plot to hmm. make money. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, kind of how you and I got connected um, is um, kind of ties into this uh, core civic, um, the private prison um, situation that, that you mentioned, um, because there are three uh, mega prisons that have been that are planned to be built in um, the state of Alabama um, in the coming years, um, and a lot of the cost offsetting for that will be that they will be managed by Core Civic. Um, can you tell us a bit about um, kind of the difference um, uh, on the ground, so to speak, um, between being in a, a state-run prison and a, a, a privately-run prison? Well, you know, I don't know that it's going to be that big much of a difference comparing Alabama to with Core Civic, for the simple fact is uh, Alabama is just as bad as Core Civic's <laughs> reputation. So, you know, as, as Core Civic has a horrendous reputation and, and many lawsuits inside the uh, uh, federal courts as well as different state courts throughout, uh, around the nation. Um, so, you know, I don't know that it's going to be that much of a difference. It, it, it surely won't be a step up, that's for sure. Um, Core Civic has multiple lawsuits dealing with uh, conditions of the prisons. You know, I... I one of the things that really grasped my attention uh, was a couple of years ago, Colorado actually removed their exception clause out of uh, out of their state constitution dealing with slavery and involuntary servitude. And at, once that happened, what you started seeing was a migration of your private prison industries leaving the state of Colorado, and they soon started migrating into Alabama. Uh, as we all know, Alabama is uh, 40 years behind. So, you know, it's a, it, that right there was cream of the crop uh, when it comes to the private prison industries. Uh, the GO Group was one of, the, one of the ones that was actually bidding on these mega prisons. And, you know, we also seen them actually fall to the wayside. So they couldn't meet uh, what they were actually shooting for as far as their agenda here in Alabama. Whatever that was that led them to lead the bidding process of it, we don't know that as of right now. But... Uh, I can't say that Core Civic is much different than Alabama uh, Department of Corrections as far as the running of the prisons. I, yeah. I do know that the fact that uh, Core Civic uh, prisons and other private prison industry uh, companies, uh, the violence and the uh, conditions overall speak speak for themselves, man. Uh, it doesn't get any better. And, and, and the reason why you got that that problem such a problematic issue is because uh, it's, a, it's a business of profit. So everything goes down, the quality of security, the quality of food, the quality of, you know, the, uh, I, I don't know, the, the prison itself. You know, these things, it, you're looking at trying to make a dollar and you're going to cut, cut every corner that you can to make that dollar. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned um, two earlier uh, and just to kind of put a footnote on that, I will put in our show notes um, a link to the uh, Department of Justice um, report on Alabama prisons um, from, I believe it was 2019. Um, and it, it was, as you say, horrendous. And I'll also uh, put in a link to um, just kind of a rundown on all of the lawsuits pending um, against uh, Core Civic for their human rights um, abuses. But I, I do want to ask kind of 
what you guys are doing there um, to uh, to put together organizing efforts um, to kind of draw attention um, to uh, the conditions and, and uh, maybe what you guys are asking for um, in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, can you can you give us a uh, a brief uh, description for those that that don't quite know? Alabama will one day return back to society. So 
So do you want the animal that allegedly he was or she was once coming to prison, or do you want uh, a, a rejuvenated, a, a repurposed man inside, in, in back into society? As of right now, the way the prison system is designed and the way it's working, you're doing nothing but re, uh, creating uh, an animal that is then his instincts take over every other every other aspect of, of him and his thinking. Yeah, and I mean, I I think that's one thing that that really strikes me and and just encourages me, uh, particularly as a person of faith, um, and that I. I'm, I am so encouraged that, that your, um, what you are, what you're, um, really moving towards and moving this conversation towards is really just that, that others acknowledged the image, what I would say is the image of God in you. Um, and that, um, that, you know, our worst moments don't, um, define us, um, and that, um, you know, even that's in, independent of any, any sort of, um, guilt or innocence or anything like that. Um, but that we are all children of God. So we are all family members in this. Um, and, um, so sort of with kind of with that being said, um, I'm curious what folks, um, on the outside can do to, um, band together in solidarity with you all. Um, how we can um, kind of move the ball forward in that. We know, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I, I want to do, hold on one second. Mm-hmm. about that that really grasped the whole 
hold of me when I really took an understanding of what repent meant was repent come from a Greek word called metanoia. Mm. And metanoia means to simply change the way you think. And once you change the way you think about your sins or your crimes or whatever it is, you're actually going to start hating what you was once loving. Mm. And the truth about the matter is, and I don't know that a lot of Christians in the world understand this, is that God has no respect for persons, nor does he weigh one, one, one sin bigger than the other sin. So I see, in, I see in the scripture where God speaks about how he hates a liar, but yet at the same time he, com- he compares liars with whoremongers and murderers and adulter- adulterers. So how is it that today's Christians that have never been behind these walls can sit there and act like that they are better in position with their God than these men behind these walls? So we ask that you see us as men and not what we what we might have done or what we've been charged with doing or you know but who we who are we today regardless of our spirituality regardless of anything who are we today and that is what we need society to see is that we are i mean we're family i mean you, you can't get you can't get around that because nowhere in the laws that it state that i cannot move next door to you share my meals with you um invite you over to my house or you invite me over to your house once I'm released, I am going to be back into society one day. So are the majority of these guys. So, you know, do not throw these guys away, man, and, and, and offer them an opportunity for uh, what, I, what, what, what society calls rehabilitation. Have you ever taken, actually, uh, David, and looked at how many words that we use throughout not only the spiritual aspect of theology, or, but in everyday life that start with R-E? Hmm. That is something that I've just, you know, it's it's gone through my mind a lot. You know, R-E, repent. Hmm. R-E, redeem or redemption. R-E, rehabilitate. Hmm. Rehabilitation or R-E, reform. Hmm. We use these things a lot. And we don't really implement these things into everyday life for what it literally means. We want to sit there and, and give it a brand new different meaning and that is acceptable to our way of thinking. But what, is the, what, is, what, is, what do these words truly mean? And they're so closely related that we really need to pay attention to what, what, what we're saying. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like I've, it's not even Sunday, and I feel like I've got a good, uh, good sermon <laughs> that, uh, that I heard from you. Um, yeah, and it, 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 um, to kind of turn that back, um, there's a, there's a famous quote from Sister Helen Prejean, um, who's a, a Catholic, uh, nun, um, and that has been doing, um, really great prison, uh, work and abolition work and, um, uh, particularly on, um, death row, um, kind of work, uh, on, on just trying to get abolition in every sense. Um, but one thing she says is, you know, we talk about rehabilitation, we, and there's no habilitation <laughs> in the first place. Um, and I'm just struck by what you're saying um, that, you know, if if we um, if we can't see one another as human beings in the first place, um, then we can't see what we're missing when we put our brothers away for years and years at a time. Um, and the whole family of, of 
humans is is uh is really missing out <laughs> um on this and and we're really captive to this um this mindset that we have to keep things the way that they are um while folks like you suffer um to you know increase capital you know i'm not going to be the first person i'm not the first person to suffer i'm not going to be the last person to suffer at the hand of, of humans uh and, and that we don't expect that to end but we got to do our part in actually changing the way people think in society as well as the way we think inside inside these walls um you know it takes me back to to actually I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm sure you remember the story in the scripture that talks about the young rich ruler, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the young rich ruler himself, you know, here's the man of statute, the man of power, and the the writer of this actually wanted to actually describe, excuse me, mm-hmm. wanted to describe this man in, in, in posture and who he was for the simple fact is it was important to him. But the young rich ruler come running, and that's not something that a, hmm. a powerful man did. He came running to the cat that they called Jesus. and But he sees something in this individual, so he come running, and then he knelt down. So he, he like I said, he seen something in this individual. And then he, and his first words is what grabbed a hold of me. He said, good master, and that's how he identified Jesus. He said, good master, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And, and Jesus caught on to that itself. He says, why do is thou call me good? Who do you hmm. say I am? I basically say, I'm a man, who do you say I am? Because the only person, the only one individual that's good is God. <laughs> You're calling me a good teacher here. Who am I? Who are you saying that I am? So so the thing about it is, is the next following answer that the youngest really gave him was he addressed him as, well, master, I've done all these things after he described what he had to do to get him to heaven. He left off the God part. Hmm. Now, hmm. that's the question I want to ask society. Are you truly a Christian? And I'm not here to judge that. But are you truly a Christian? Do you walk? Do you understand what's going on? And do you understand that the majority of the individuals that they talk about in the Bible were some jacked up cats? <laughs> David, he committed murder and adultery. Uh, Paul, he committed murder. I mean, these, we can go on and on all the way to Abraham. It's, it's, you know, we can, these were jacked up individuals, and these were the ones that God chose. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I'm any, all because I'm in prison or I'm, I'm, I'm incarcerated that I'm better than anybody out there. The thing about it is, is I've hit rock bottom. And how many of these guys on the inside have hit rock bottom and deserve that chance to be treated like a human? Hmm. Instead of adding more and more pressure they remove these guys from society that's supposed to be their punishment but yet at the same time they're still they're still wants to continue dehumanizing them by removing you have one minute their left. family members and not allowing them to have contact visits etc and then locking locking them up and throwing away the key mm. what you're describing is is an evil a great evil that you're right the church talks very little about um and uh and it, it makes it no less evil <laughs> it makes it no less evil well look let me make one more phone call to you yeah. unless you no let's do one more i'm i'm good for one more if you are cool the caller has hung up 
Water and thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. Okay. <laughs> you know, kind of to change the subject, but it's mm -hmm. not changing the subject. I really, you know, uh, I guess about a month ago, uh, our outside organizers reached out to the community of Tallahassee and, and Bid. Man, we're so grateful that um, Bid has reached out and, you know, wanted to actually team up, so to speak, uh, in fighting the construction of the mega prisons in, in the community. Uh, one thing that I have noticed, and, and mind you, uh, don't twist my words or get it <laughs> twisted, that we are on the same page. We want to stop. The overall agenda is to stop the construction of, uh, of mega prisons. And we, and we can go on and on and talking about why we need to stop it. But one of the things that the BIV community has brought up before, the you know, commissions and, and, and whatnot, is there, and it's so closely related to what we, what, what we, we fear and what we see uh, going to take place, too, and that's dealing with the water issue. Hmm. Uh, I know that they have argued in front of the commissions that it's going to take a, a dramatic effect on the water issues there. But on the, on the other hand, on, on my concern as far as the water issue is the blood that's going to run in the waters hmm. in these, inside these prisons. And that is the main thing that we are wanting to do because how, how we see it from the inside, and, you know, a lot of people may uh, dislike what I'm about to say, but uh, it, it's, not, it, it's really not a unique concern amount of people dislike it or not. <laughs> um, we're looking at the value of water and we're looking at the value of property, you know, because we know, and, and I can see to that, you know, these prisons will bring down and, and have a dramatic effect on both mm -hmm. water and property value. But my concern in, in, in turn of that is the value of a human life. Mm -hmm. Not only those who are inside the prison system at the moment, but the value of the children who will be uh, occupying these cells in years to come, which will be your children, my children, grandchildren. Uh, I don't care how you look at it. Uh, seven out of ten children uh, who have incarcerated parents is proven that they will follow in the footsteps of that parent. So that's one of my main concerns is, is the, what, what value is more important? Is it the water value? Is it the property value or is it the human value and life value of these individuals who unless we change the uh, and repurpose and reconstruct the purpose of what these prisons are for and what the judicial system is for what value is more important human lives or property value and water value mm. my friend that was another another sermon and I think I think that's 100% true I think um you know, you talk about effective messaging and, um, you know, maybe uh, property value and, and kind of the environmental impacts um, hit people a certain way, and those are real concerns. Um, but what you said is is just mountains of, of importance. Um, it's, it's so much more important than, than the other parts of the conversation. Um, I wonder if you can talk about just what, how you view that impact, um, you know, because we're talking about old, older prisons. The, the prison in Bibb County was uh, built in the early 90s, um, but apparently it was built on a swamp or something. Um, so, uh, and part of the DOJ report that we mentioned earlier um, talks just about the physical condition of the buildings are just... Um, 
in, in many cases, sort of what they deem beyond repair. Um, and typically when we talk about building new facilities, um, you know, we, we kind of imagine like a, a cleaner, shinier. Um, I think even part of, uh, I think uh, some of the lawmakers in Alabama have reasoned um, that the conditions in the existing prisons um, do not uh, habituate themselves well to folks that are having, um, that are needing like mental health services or even um, just physical health services. And so um, the new facilities would ostensibly provide kind of a, a, a better, um, cleaner prison experience, <laughs> I think is how they're billing it. Um, can you tell us, um, can you tell us what impact and building new mega prisons would have from your perspective? Well, first and foremost, you know, I, I agree with you on the, especially the bill construction. The bill was, was opened in October 1998. Uh, and the purpose was a lie. Let, 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 let's look at that first and foremost. The purpose was, and I, I don't remember the woman's name that they actually leased that land from, but they told, uh, told this owner that they were going to house minimum security inmates on this. And then, you know, they, over time they transformed it and, and made it a level four. And as you know, the violence has gone up in the level fours. Out of all the prisons, the violence has gone up. They actually started uh, naming Bib Correctional Facility Bloody Bib over the years uh, due to all the stabbings and the murders that's taken place on that land. So, but the same thing that they did in 1998 or before 1998 when they started constructing the correctional facility, they're doing now. And they're, what they're doing is they're throwing sales pitches out there, and then they're going to turn around and uh, divert from new sale pitches. Uh, they're hollering that they're focused on rehabilitation and mental health and all this and that, but they're not. Uh, and, and there's nothing that a shiny new building is going to do without the removal of the culture of what's going on and the purpose of what's going on and, going on and taking place inside the Alabama Department of Corrections. Uh, if you had, you know, Alabama is, is known for loving football, correct? You know, everybody mm -hmm. yeah. understands football. So let's look at it from a football uh, rhetoric. If you build a brand new stadium for, let's just say, Troy State, all right? We know Troy State doesn't have a great football team over there. Mm -hmm. But if we build a multi-billion dollar stadium, uh, is that going to win, turn this football team into a winning team? No, it's not. You're not going to turn this football team to a winning team until you get a, football, a new football program, hmm. new football leaders, new football players. That is the only way that anything is going to change. Hmm. You do not need necessarily multi, I mean, mega prisons to bring in rehabilitation. You do not need that. And when it comes to the construction of the existing prisons in the state of Alabama, am I going to sit there and lie and say that they're not awful? There's many of them are. But when you, you and I both know, I'm pretty, I'm not old. I'm only 44 years old, but at the same time, I do know that they don't build things the way they used to build them back in the day. Hmm. When you got these prisons like Draper, Draper Press Facility is a strong, solid building. All they have to do is come in there and do some reconstructing on that and, and do the repumping and the electricity. You have a perfect facility. That facility, if it's updated to the point where it needs, of course it's going to cost millions of dollars because they have not done preventive maintenance over the years. <laughs> yeah. They've just allowed it to be there. Uh, and, and it should run itself down. But this is a prison we're talking about is 100 years old. Now, Bib, Bib should not be in the condition it's in. But it is in the condition it is because of the overcrowdingness. Mm. I don't care what it is. If you have too many dogs in a kennel, it is going to... 
going to turn around and, and be run down in, in a short period of time. But if you have it down to the capacity, it's going to last a little bit longer. Uh, and when you get done in February, possibly that building would not be as depleted as it is if these guys had constructed things to do while they were in there. If these guys uh, were working towards actually going home, they would see the value of, hey, I don't need to, I don't need to uh, set this building on fire. I don't need to destroy this building. I need to be doing what I got to do to get out of prison. As of right now, majority of the individuals inside these prisons have nothing to work forward to. Their fate is not in their hands. Their fate is in the hands of people like Charles Grady when they were put in, the, when he was put in the parole board. The fate is in the hands of the correctional officers who are just as uh, corrupt as anybody else. Their fate is in the hands of politicians mm. who do not care and would rather see the rich man get richer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a... Uh... I'm a really still sitting with your with your football analogy, um, and just kind of yeah I'm I don't know that I have a question in that, but just kind of reflecting on what you're saying is just the culture is so far gone of how we how we make prisons. I mean, there's I think something like 2.5 million. Um, incarcerated people in in the United States right now, um, which is actually it's um, it's more than any other nation, including China. China has over a billion more people than we do, um, and and yet the conversation is always, you know, the prisons are overcrowded. We need to um, find a way to house these people um, instead of just pausing and saying, why are we doing this um this makes well, that, 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 yeah. that question is easily answered and it all goes back to the very uh, first point that we started talking about and that is the economical game mm. slavery at, at its best you know uh, there there was a book wrote uh and it's called slavery by another name and mm. you know and if you haven't read it i suggest people read that because it's so, so much true and you know you also see in that book the uh history Especially, look at Bib. Bib was has always been an area for prison. Um, there were road camps uh, established inside of that community back in I'm talking about the 18 and early 1900s. So that is, it, it's historical, it, 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 and it's something that people have not let go of, and they want to continue and allow it to, to take place. Uh, but you know, when you when you question when you bring up questions, David, man, is on. I don't, I don't see it ever uh, diverting any, in, in any other direction other than back to economical gain. Why do we want to build more prisons? Well, they want to build more prisons because they want to actually house more people. That is their goal, housing more people. Kay Ivey comes from a background of education. She should be partial about education, but she's, she, is, she is not funding the schools, but she is funding the prisons. She is setting in motion what she wants to do for her for the future. She wants to incarcerate the future instead of educating the future. If she really wanted to uh, decarcerate, she wouldn't be talking about new mega prisons. She would be talking about education and keeping these kids out of the streets and making a brighter future for them. Yeah. Um, and 
I know we're probably running up against it time-wise, but I wanted to bring in one more um, aspect that I know um, from your writing that you're engaged in um, is kind of this the conversation of school-to-prison pipeline that we hear about and that we can read about um, documented all over the place. Um, just kind of talk about how you see that um, on a day-to-day basis. They're even using mock systems inside the schools today. Um, when it comes to that, uh, they're using, you know, such as in the alternative schools, they're using uh, areas of what they're calling, and these kids have actually nicknamed um, lockup. Hmm. So, you know, they're, they're separating them. They're, they're actually uh, placing them in solitary confinement and, 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 and removing them from their uh, peers because they're looked at as being troubled individuals. Um, so, you know, once you're labeled that as, at a young age, you know, it's hard to break that, that cycle. So, you know, they're preparing them in, 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 in the schools right now to actually graduate from alternative school to go to prison. Um, they're treating them like that in, in these schools. You know, you look at the uh, more police that they're putting in the schools, and, you know, I do, I'm not downgrading the fact that there needs to be security because of the culture of what's taking place inside the schools. But I am, I am saying, why would you have the police inside these schools? And, and, and at the, the, maybe it's not in the state of Alabama like it is in the other states, but Alabama is actually, you know, growing to that and placing more and more police inside the schools. Why would you want a police state inside of an education state environment? Um, so you know, the school to prison pipeline is, is actually it's booming, and they're actually doing everything that they can to evolve it and to, and to sugarcoat it and to smokescreen it from the public. Uh, we have to be conscious of, of how the government is doing these things. You have one minute left. Are actually uh, pushing the culture of this to actually start bringing these children to school, to the prisons. Yeah. Well, uh, swift justice with the free Alabama movement. My friend and brother, I am very thankful and grateful to be able to speak with you and for um, for you to, to keep making your voice known and to keep um, pursuing truth and bearing witness to truth. Um, and just know that um, I know me and, and others that hear this will... Um, are, are in your corner and and want to be a part of the change that you're talking about. Oh, man, we, we were, we're so grateful to be a part of what y'all got going on, too, and thankful to have y'all in our corner. Yeah. Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Public Theologians. If you like what you heard, or even if you didn't but you felt like it was worth your time, we would greatly appreciate you sharing it with someone you know. We'd also love to hear from you, and if you feel so inclined, we'd gladly accept your support. Go in peace to love and serve.